Um, we're in a, a new series um, this morning from the Gospel of John. Sonia started that off last week for us. And um, what we're focusing on um, in the Gospel of John are the seven signs that Jesus shares. Um, the Gospel is prefaced um, and with this beautiful kind of description of God's work in Christ and kind of the cosmic um, nature of it. But I want us to just hold this as our, as our guide for this series. From His, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Uh, the fullness, the, the ability to hold it all, um, like we prayed. Um, and, and what John does is give us seven signs of what God's presence in our normal, everyday lives um, might look like. And so we're going to go through each of the, each of the signs. Um, when I was a kid, um, and, 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 and even as an adult, there, there are certain things in our society where you kinda, you'll see something and you'll, you'll, it'll catch your attention, and then you kind of immediately want to know, what's the, what's the source of that? Or where did that come from? Maybe if you go into an art gallery and you're walking around and you see a picture um, or a painting or some kind of pottery or, 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 uh, or sculpture and it catches you and you're caught up in it and then all of a sudden you have this moment of like, who's this by? And you kind of look, where's, where's the, the signature? Or maybe you're listening, maybe you're, this tells you my life, maybe you're walking the grocery line um, at night because that's the only time you have to do it and there's some music playing on the, on the radio, and you're like, what song is that? I've never heard that before. Either it's too old, or I'm too old, so I don't know it anymore. Um, and now we have these fancy apps. We can like point them right at the sound, and they'll tell us who the, the, the artist is. Um, when I was a kid, it was, it was different. Uh, you'd be playing ball with a friend, and... Um, You'd have a baseball, or your friend would have a glove, and you'd be kind of like watching them do their thing, and then all of a sudden you'd notice, wait a minute, on that, on that ball there's some writing. Um, like this one has some very faded writing. Um, or on that glove there's a name, and it's not like the ingrained one that the company put on, but it's like written in, in ink. Um, and it was a signature. It was a sign that that very ordinary thing had once been in the hands of Tommy Lasorda um, or a famous baseball player. Um, and all of a sudden, that very ordinary thing um, was like, different. Um, I want us to think about these signs in a similar kind of way. Um, these signs have to do with bread and wine and water, healing, eventually death and resurrection. Um, but there's these moments where you look at them and we read about them and the signature of God um, is upon them. Right before the story we read, Jesus is gathering his disciples. All right, So there's this whole section on kind of rounding up the, these disciples. I think there's five of them at this point. And this first story that we just read um, 
is kind of like Jesus' first act with them. So if you would, would have guessed, like, what does Jesus do with, like, would-be disciples? Um, what, might, what might first come to mind? Like, I would guess, like, maybe he would take them on some kind of prayer retreat or something. Or maybe he would, like, tutor them in the law and they would read the scriptures together or worship. Um, Maybe they would all figure out what number they are in the Enneagram, right? Or, or what uh, strengths finders, um, strengths they had, you know, as they headed into this important work that Jesus was calling them to. And it's just remarkable to me that in the Gospel of John, the first thing Jesus does with disciples, with people like you and me, people wanting to follow Jesus with our lives in the most faithful way we can muster it up. That the first place Jesus takes them for training is this community-wide celebration, week-long probably, celebration of a wedding. So I want us to explore this story a little bit and just kind of wonder, like, if this is how Jesus trained those disciples... What is there for us? What is there for us today in terms of how we might um, ever faithfully follow Christ? Um, and, and what does this sign have to tell us about this kingdom that we're, we're invited into? Um, a wedding is um, it's a loaded thing, right? Um, Weddings, births, funerals, they all kind of bring out the best in all of us, right? Um, a little bit of sarcasm in that. It can, it can bring out the best, but it also can bring out the stuff, you know, the family stuff. Um, but a lot of times these weddings, these were like week-long gatherings where people would come together and they would celebrate a new communion. They would celebrate a unity where two households come together in this one household, um, and they would party, right? They would eat great food, they would drink good wine, they would dance, they would sing, they would celebrate this new thing that God had done. And Jesus takes these disciples and says, let's go, let's go there. I've got some things to teach you, um, to prepare you, and what it means to follow me. I want to just look at some of the characters, okay? Kind of wonder and imagine with me around these characters. Um, first of all, Jesus. Like, I just for a second, and this might be all we need to do this morning. It's not going to be all we need to do, but just it might be the most important thing. Is your first vision of Jesus him dancing and singing and celebrating and eating good food with his loved ones and people he cares for. Um, I think the Gospel of John wants to invite us to that image, that the first image we have of Jesus in the Gospel of John is him having a wonderful time. Um, maybe he's, uh, you know, one of the people at weddings who just, like, grabs the, grabs the stage, right? Gets everyone's attention. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's kind of cruising, kind of on the outsides of all these different gatherings, just 
touching base with seeing people. But no matter how we kind of imagine this, like just think about Jesus singing and dancing as the beginning of what discipleship looks like. Um, I don't know, for me, that just kind of puts some things in order. Um, maybe even changes some things um, about my view of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, imagine him at like one of the karaoke gatherings that, uh, that we've had. Like when Kristen Westeroska hosted us and like Jesus just comes in and hits the track and goes for it, right? I don't even, maybe he's saying terrible, who knows, right? Um, discipleship has something to do with the Jesus who goes to a wedding. Um, um, think about Mary in this story. Mary hears of some potentially humiliating news for this family. Um, the wine is gone at a week-long wedding. Um, all of you know, I married into an Italian family. If this happened at one of our gatherings, there would be shame to the depths of everyone's being. Um, that would not be a good thing, to invite the entire family and community over and to run out of wine. And Mary hears of this potential humiliation. Um, and she knows what to do. She goes to Jesus and she tells him because she knows his vocation. She knows what he's growing into. Um, she knows that he'll care or that he should care. And <laughs> um, says, they're out of wine. And Jesus, in a term of endearment that he uses again at the end of the Gospel of John when he's on the cross, says, woman, is it my time? It's not my time. And she says, it's so amazing. Do what he tells you to do. Like she knew. She had this expectancy of what he was about to make happen. Mary represents the church in this story. I wonder if being a disciple means being a voice for those who are humiliated. And coming to the Father to, through Jesus Christ. Um, expectancy. Let God do something for those that can't do for themselves right now. There's other characters. Think about the servants in this story. Servants. Humble people, right, doing their job. Jesus says, fill those water jugs with water. Okay, must be time for the ritual. For the cleansing, right? They fill it. They get these big things full of water. That might have taken a while. And then his next words are not like, all right, we're going to do the ritual now. We're going to do the ritual cleansing that these things are for. He says what? Put some water in some glasses and take it to the, essentially the master of the ceremony. Hopefully it was red wine, not white wine, so they kind of knew what was going on. I don't know, right? Um, but man, no matter when it was, that moment would have been like, is he serious? And yet these servants do what he says. 
They take this mysterious liquid and moment of potential humiliation and they give it to the person that he asked them to give it to. Um, Maybe discipleship has something to do with faithfulness even when we don't quite understand. Faithfulness even when we don't we can't quite make sense of why we're called to forgive. Why we're called to be last instead of first. Um, maybe discipleship has something to do with kind of acting out of obedience. Um, because we follow the Christ who smiles and sings with people he loves and celebrates at a wedding. I think about the people at this wedding, in, in, the, in the, the, I don't know what they call it in the translation we read, the steward or the master of ceremonies or whatever. I think about them. They had no idea what was going on. They had no idea. Um, all they knew is they were at the end and they were drinking the good stuff, right? And they were kind of amazed. Um, pretty excited, it seems like. I wonder if, if being a, a disciple um, means recognizing that not everyone may understand the kingdom of God. But everyone gets in at some degree. That God's grace is poured out for people who don't even understand what this goodness, this new thing that God is doing is all about. So, such a great story. Um, I think about these jars. These are religious um, symbols in this story. They are for ritual cleansing. Um, So this is a, a holy religious gathering. And because of the situation, the first sign says these religious gatherings and practices, um, they're in need of newness. They're in need of something new. Um, And the sign is that God in Christ is bringing just that. I think about us. Water is kind of this, water is like amazing, right? We, we, we understand how important water is um, to our life. And water is kind of daily, right? You don't get far in life without water. Um, weddings hold this tension. They're like super exciting and special there's newness and they happen like we go to them right there's a dailiness to them maybe not daily but you know what i mean these happen over time um and somehow at the kind of connection of the daily um and our practices god's spirit 
brings newness. And not just like kind of the next thing, but like the best stuff, says the guests, um, to our life. I wonder about our practices, and I'd like us to think large about practices. I mean, first, it's easy to, t- to look at what we're doing right now, right? This is a religious practice. Um, but think about your, your everyday lives. You go, to je- you go to work, or you work with your children, or you look for work. Do your normal, your normal daily stuff. Um, I wonder if it, to be a disciple means to begin to do those normal daily things looking for the signature. Looking for God's signature and activity. Um, God's wine that he pours out, the best stuff. Into these common jars, these common practices that we all um, live into. Um, sometimes I'll hear from people, "Wow, Josh, Mountainside sounds so great! Like, it sounds like you're doing some really special things." Um, and I'll get compliments that way, and I and I think. I've been able to see, and I think some of you have been able to see, that there are churches who look at what we're up to and they consider that new wine. Um, new wine for um, the Church of the Nazarene or, or churches in our area. And I received that, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm also at this place where that's true and my prayer is that God would bring new wine to us. Um, that God would bring new wine and pour water into our practices, our practices of friendship, our practices of worship, our practices of taking care of this building. Um, that we're, we're a little more confident to say now that is gift, right? Our practices of neighboring and raising kids and doing the things that we do each day, my prayer is that God would, yes, use us as new wine, but I think in order to be new wine, we need to experience new wine. And I know our stories enough to know that our lives, we, we might be in places where we just need to cry out to God, God, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jar I, I've, I've been faithful as I know how to do what I'm supposed to do. And I need you to turn the water that I put into this life, this daily stuff that I do, I need you to turn it into wine. Um, do something new. Um, and I think when we come to this table, we can, we can pray that and hope that. And this, and this passage tells us that God will indeed do that. There's a few, a few things that, um, oops, gave it away. That's coming. That's a good one. Um, 
I think this passage speaks to a few very concrete things in our life um, as we come to this table. One, what we've already mentioned, that God wants to take the daily um, and do something new in it. And I want us to just hold that promise. I don't know what that's going to look like for you and me and for this church, but I want us to hold that and claim that together. That God will take what is normal in our efforts and will do new things. Amen? I think that God starts discipleship with celebrating a union of love tells us that our needs for love, our longings for love, um, will not go unanswered. Will not go unanswered. unheard Um, that we this is a sign of something that god is moving us to in all its fullness john one says Um, this is just a sign that god is taking us somewhere where love unconditional abounds and i think this story reminds us that our longings for love and connection they will not go unmet. Um, long now, there is a day coming um, where those longings will be um, experienced and fulfilled. Um, I think connected to all this is the importance of meals. Um, and we're in a society where meals don't happen like like the meals I'm talking about here. Um, they happen like through drive throughs and like in cars. And I'm, so I suppose God can do some things in that too as you're passing fries over the back seat or, you know, whatever. Um, but I wonder about the importance of meals in this story. Um, this is Amanda. This is her preparing for the meals that a bunch of confirmation and high school students and friends ate this weekend. Um, I'm so thankful for her. Um, there was a great video of her, too. I couldn't figure out how to get it on PowerPoint, though. I need, Brad, maybe you could help me get videos into my PowerPoint. No? <laughs> um, this is the group that went. Um, this is them sharing a meal at In-N-Out. Um, I pray for those meals that they had and that they got to experience together. Um, last night, uh, we had a meal where um, donors and board members and clients and staff of the Immigration Resource Center came together. Gene, our director of development, pulled this together. And our goal, she said, was for us, the actual us of the IRC, to come around a table and share a meal. Um, And we're going to, of course, use this. She's creating like a little, Megan's creating like a little video of this, and Daniel. But it was just such a special time last night to have the IRC, again, all sorts of connections to that work. Um, That's a a grand work, but just to come together around a table, a table made by Daniel, um, food prepared by Maria, um, a beautiful garden. um, And it it was a picture for me of just what we're looking at in this parable, of newness, um, that people who society carves into different places and sectors 
of our neighborhoods and cities that the gospel says, no, we come together and we eat around a table. Um, this is um, Esma Ali, and she is a, a friend of Mountainside's. Um, she's a leader in a local mosque here in town. And just this week, um, she sent an email to some religious leaders in our community and um, shared with us about an experience she had this week where she was doing her exercise um, around town and she decided to stop into, I think it was her mother-in-law or father-in-law's apartment. And when she stopped um, to go to the door, some other neighbors saw her in her hijab and called the police department claiming that she was trying to break and enter into um, uh, one of these apartments. If you know Esma, there's all sorts of reasons why that's just not the case. <laughs> um, she was very upset, understandably so. I mean, she wrote an email um, that was pretty raw to our religious, to some of the religious leaders in town. And it was just amazing to see the gracious responses um, to Esma. Um, Father Neil at the Episcopalian Church, Sonia responded. Um, others from the Baha'i community responded. Um, and after she had kind of, kind of settled down from this kind of traumatic event, um, she wrote another email inviting um, the religious leaders of the community, and anyone for that matter, and I'm inviting you, um, to this Tuesday come to a press conference um, at the Morovia Police Department where she plans to thank the police department for the care that they took in responding. Um, she said that they were embarrassed in having to do what they had to do. Um, and she appreciated the gentleness that they demonstrated, but also to raise awareness in our local community of some things that we're all kind of aware of on the news of stereotyping, religious intolerance, um, things of that nature. Um, there's a rabbi in Los Angeles, and um, she, um, <clears throat> Rabbi uh, Sharon Browse, who um, has done some work on um, kind of naming an emerging religious life, new wine, if you will, that seems to be emerging in um, our culture um, across religious lines. Um, and it's all in the context of, uh, of a situation where people are wondering, why religion? Right? I mean, on the one hand, you have kind of religious extremism, where um, horrific acts are done, and the, and the last word that's said before they're done is the word God. Um, but then she also cautions against religious routinism. These jars, I think. Um, and that people are just as apt to um, kind of move beyond a practice of faith um, for that kind of drudgery, um, I think is a word she uses, as, as they are for, for, for the extremism that we face. But she talked about in her, in her connections um, 
people of Muslim faith, Christian faith, of course, Jewish faith, and, and others. She talked about an emerging religious ethos, a new wine, if you will, that is happening that moves towards justice. Um, and she gives like four characteristics of, of, of how she describes these. And I wonder if there, there are things that we can think about as we come to this table, as we look at a story from our faith tradition about newness um, and God doing something new in structures of religion um, like this story holds. Um, one, she talks about a, um, a wakefulness that's happening among religious traditions. Um, and what she means by that is, you know, we are just pounded with images of pain and suffering in the world. And psychologists refer to kind of a response to this as kind of psychological numbness. You can hear these things so often and so much that you just, you just, you just can't even handle it and you just go turn the, turn the station or put the paper, well, maybe I'm the only one who reads the newspaper still, um, clicks to another website or whatever. Um, and she talks about, no, that there is something new happening where our practices of faith are waking us up to not just need all around the world, but to situations like Esma's right here in our backyard. Um, the second thing she talks about is hope. And not just in terms of like optimism or um, happiness, but this like deep, passionate um, conviction that newness, that new wine is possible and is breaking in. And Mountainside, I hope we can have that hope um, because of who God is in Jesus Christ. That though we will certainly experience psychological numbness, though we will certainly at times not know what to do with all the pain that we experience or that we observe, that in Christ we have a hope that is gritty and grounded and is going somewhere. Um, and there are people in all sorts of faith traditions that are, are waking up to this grounded and um, passionate hope. And in a, in a culture that is so tired, so pessimistic, um, we need this. And if the church can't open ourselves up to it, I'm not even saying we have to muster it all the time. We just got to come and open ourselves up to it. And God can give us um, the hope that we need. The third thing she talks about, and I love this one, is mightiness. That there is a mightiness emerging. Um, and she tells a story about how, in her tradition, they'll have two pieces of paper in their pockets. One that says, I am but dust and ashes. And for her, that means, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. And the other one says, for my sake, the world was created. Or I can surely do something. And hold and live that tension. I am but dust and ashes. It's not all about me. And for my sake, the world was created. Holy moly. I can do something. 
And so every Sunday, they prostrate to the ground, the only time they're allowed to do that, um, in utter submission to God. She says her faith community stands up and they recite this word. They say, I am strong, I am mighty, and I am worthy. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I love that. I love the acknowledgement of the finite and yet the acknowledgement of hope and newness at the same time. One more. Welcome back, kids. Find a seat next to a, a loved one. We're almost done. Her last sign of newness that, um, that Rabbi um, Sharon Brouse says is that of interconnectedness. And the story I shared about Esma and this beautiful response that's happening in our community is, to me, a powerful demonstration of that. Um, that we don't know what the future holds, but we know that it's heading in the way of love and justice. Um, and there is an interconnectedness that's happening um, and that God is using to take us there. Um, and to be open to that and receptive to that. Um, so when we come to the table, I don't, I don't know... Um, I don't know what catches your attention today. Um, I don't know if it's just a beautiful story. Maybe, maybe it's just like, I need to sit in that story. I need to put myself at that wedding. I need to see Jesus singing and dancing. Um, maybe that's where you need to be as you come to this table. Um, maybe you're at that wedding and you see Mary, um, a voice for the humiliated who prays a very confident prayer to her son, knowing what he's got in him, knowing what God still has um, for us. Maybe it's a call to pray expectantly today. Maybe you have your eye on the servants who are like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen when I serve this water to the people? Um, well, I got to do it. Maybe there's some call to obedience, even if you don't understand it, that God's been working in you, um, that you need to take serious. Maybe it's the guests. That let's be real. You see guests who they don't understand. I like to affectionately refer to these people, and they're some of my favorite people in the world, as just happy pagans. They are happy and joyful, and they don't understand or care to what God is up to. And maybe we need to be okay watching them receive the fullness of God's blessing and gift. Um, maybe that's where we need to be today. Um, or maybe you're coming to this table because you have a burden for our church, or you have a burden in your own life. Where you say, God, I need new wine. We need new wine. Um, and you want to come on behalf of our church or on behalf of someone you love or on behalf of yourself and say, God, feed me with your body and your blood because I need newness today. And God is at this table waiting for us no matter what our, our posture is as we come. Let's pray together.
God, we um, come to this table In the Old Testament, we read of a description of your people as prisoners of hope. And we come as that, God. We come because we have been caught up in what you have done through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we come to this table with great hope. Honest, on-the-ground hope that you will pour out your newness. That you will grant us the new wine that we need in our world in our country, in our cities, in our lives, in our households, in this church. So God, as we come to this table and eat this bread and drink this cup, um, as we get wrapped up in your body, the body of your son, God, we open ourselves to you. Um, Use this time, we pray, um, as encouragement for those who need encouragement. Give us the courage we need, God. As challenge for those of us who need to be challenged, to wake up, to hope, to obey, even when we don't understand. Um, Challenge us, God, by this meal that you give us. May we see signs, your signature, all throughout our lives um, as you bring about the newness that you promise us in this passage today. So by your spirit, bring us to this table, nourish us, sustain us, and send us um, as your people. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.